0: Hi, everyone. It's Jamie. I just want to share with you that my new book, Toxic Relationship Recovery, is available now. This book is for anyone who is healing after a harmful relationship, but it's also for people that are looking to identify toxic traits, toxic behaviors, and toxic strategies that get used upon people every single day. The second half of the book teaches you strategies to heal your inner voice and find your authentic self, after experiencing this type of harm. I'm looking forward to you all reading it and hearing your feedback from it. It's available today. Find Toxic Relationship Recovery wherever you buy books. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm C.A. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming.
1: Hi. 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 Welcome. Stop being so cringe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, literally, why is this podcast so cringe?
0: I don't know. I guess it is. You know what? We're going to embrace
1: it. Um, No, you know what? This actually, it's true. I actually bet you anything. There probably are people that look at us and they're like, cringe. Or listen and go, cringe.
0: See, there's no doubt in my mind. There are times where like, the reason I didn't start this podcast is I was like, if I'm not absolutely perfect, someone's going to be like, um... That's so awkward. Oh my god, your audio isn't perfect. Oh my god, you had a filler word. Oh my god, I'd be like, you know what? I'm never gonna do anything if I'm worried about people thinking I'm
1: cringe. So right. here we are. It's true. Um,
0: that's so here actually- we are <laughs>
1: <laughs> being cringe, and that is the topic for today. We actually want to talk about what the heck is the deal with the experience of cringe? Why we feel it? Why? And what we can learn from it. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Does this make you feel weird?
1: (laughs) Does awkward dancing make you feel weird? (laughs) No, not at all. But there are things that do make me feel cringe. I am not immune to cringe. And so... This is this is what we're going to explore today and I'm actually looking forward to it. So I'm going to tell a little story. I was saying this to Jamie off air. This is kind of what inspired this episode actually was I have a teenage daughter. Yep, I can officially say that now and that is Shut up. Crazy to say. Yep. Shut um up. I have a teenage daughter and so you can imagine how many times a day I make her cringe. It's almost infinite. But there was a particular experience just yesterday that was like, it really just highlighted this, this topic for me. And it just illuminated it in such a poignant way that I was like, we got to talk about this on the podcast. So we are getting a new kitten tomorrow. I'm so excited. Yay. Cannot wait. Um, I will be starting a Catstagram page. For her. So anyway, just keep your ears peeled for that news because I know you all care very much about that. Um, but here's the deal. So we don't have a name for her yet. And we've been going around and around and around. There are six people in my family. So there's a lot of opinions. Um, so last night I pulled out a whiteboard in the family room and I was like, all right, guys, let's do this. And I start setting up a literal bracket, like a March Madness bracket and like writing all the names out. I'm like, let's just like, we're going to hash it out. We're going to like debate, you know, like Lily versus versus honey, which name wins, you know, and like narrow it down. So, yep. (laughs) So we start, we start getting into it a little bit and like everybody is having fun with it until like. Maybe about two minutes in, and my teenage daughter stands up and she goes, Mom, you are being so cringe right now. I literally cannot be here anymore. And not kidding, she left the room and never came back because she could not handle how cringy I was being by like running this kitten name bracket event. And so she left. Wait, hold on, pause. This is like all the fantasy teams are
0: forming, by the way. I'm sad I should have joined a fantasy team. I, I Like if anyone has one, I want to join one. Okay, I think it's over. I think I was supposed to already join one, but it's like fantasy football, like the fantasy thing where everyone has to gather together. I remember being like, wow, we're taking this really seriously and everyone had to like <laughs> schedule the event. But well, you do, you, you have to schedule the event and you go, dude, this is a made up game. For football enjoyers. And I had to like schedule it. And I go, that's what it's feeling like. Because right around the time everyone's doing their football, fantasy football league. And I go, listen, you pulled out the whiteboard, like yep. fantasy football style or March Madness style. And of yep. course she's like registering that, but. Yeah.
1: And I, and I was super into it. She's, you know, her, her analysis of how into it I was is correct. It was so fun. I was like, this is hilarious. Like I love taking things that are kind of insignificant and making them so significant. The, the naming of a kitten could be the simplest thing ever, but I'm like, why not make it epic? (laughs) It will be a memory for the other. They're going to be like, that was so hilarious. Like mom is so hilarious. For sure. Uh-huh. But, yes. So it got me thinking, all right, what is that thing inside of us that makes us experience the sensation of cringe? And for her specifically in that moment, like the tension of that feeling was so intense for her that she could not even like, like endure it. And she had to remove herself from From that experience. So we were talking about like, it's, you know, we could call it secondhand embarrassment. When we were growing up, Jamie, we just used the word awkward. Um, Like, oh God, awkward. Like you're being, you're being so awkward, right? Like I can't, awkward. But what, what really is it that's happening internally when we experience that? And so I had to like, kind of like put myself, all right, when's the last time I remember feeling the sensation of cringe, like witnessing something that made me go like, Ooh, that is really difficult to watch. And that makes me feel so cringe. And why did I feel that way? And so this is what I discovered it had, it's attached to like internalized feelings of shame. And the example that I was using for myself, I couldn't think of a specific one, but like most of the time when I feel the feeling of cringe, it has to do with like observing an awkward social interaction of two people and like either one of them or both of them is like really missing a lot of social cues and they're just like saying things super out of pocket and they're just like missing the other person's like body language or subtle hints or whatever it is and then like just being really like off socially. That makes me feel cringe when I witnessed that and then I had to analyze why specifically makes perfect sense for me because I, growing up as an undiagnosed neurodivergent person, that is such a huge source of so much of my like social trauma and pain and, and like, like issues that I had growing up is missing social cues and getting made fun of for it and not understanding what's the meaning of something that somebody said to me or like thinking it was this, but it was something else. And so I like hyper focused on that and like learned so much about human sociology and studied like inner, you know, like human dynamic and all of that. Like I studied, studied, studied humans and conversation tactics so that I didn't have, so I could try to preserve myself from that type of embarrassment. So when I see somebody else having that type of an interaction, I am immediately like internally transported to like being that person. And if it were me, I would be so embarrassed that I was missing that social cue or that I said something that was so off topic or whatever. And then like, I would want to just like run away and be like, oh my God, make this, make this stop. But I had to take it one step further because it's not just like, oh, watching somebody like struggle to learn a new skill of like how to socially interact. What really actually makes me feel cringe is when I'm witnessing somebody do that and they don't feel embarrassment. It would be one thing if I was like watching them be socially awkward and I could tell that the person was like embarrassed that they said something wrong and then they were like, oh, like, ooh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That would be like, okay, I wouldn't feel cringe about that. I'd feel like, oh, yeah, that's rough. I've been there, done that. I get that sensation of cringe when I watch somebody let's just say the example of like they said something totally like out of pocket, totally off topic. And then like people around them reacted in an awkward way. Like, why did they say that? But then the person just doubled down and didn't care. And they just owned it. And they were like, yeah, boom. And then they just like kept going with it. And they just totally missed the fact that what they said was like not supposed to be like said, or that nobody cares or whatever it is, right? And so they're just like owning it. They have no sense of embarrassment. That's when I feel cringe because I'm like, you in my mind, subconsciously, what's actually happening is I'm going, you should be feeling embarrassed right now and you're not. So I literally am going to feel embarrassed for you.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. But here's the thing. So
0: in the example you gave with your daughter, the, uh, the situation where you were like fully in your power, you weren't going to feel embarrassed. Right. And then I also think of another example, like when I was telling you in like our brainstorm session, uh, you know, when I watch people sing, I'm not a professional singer, but I'm a highly trained singer. I've sang my entire life. Right. Uh, but I don't sing professionally. And because I've highly trained and I've taken lessons and I've done a bunch of different things with music, I experience that embarrassment when I listen to people sing off key. And then, like, are they're unaffected by it? They're unaffected. They're like confidently singing off key, not to be ironic, not to be goofy, but confidently singing off key because they just like to sing, right? And I'm not sitting there like hurting them or like trying to bully them or something. I'm just experiencing it like, ooh, that feels really hard for me to watch. And that's what I would describe it as cringe because I'm watching someone being confident, executing something that I've been able to master but they're doing it in a way like without any guilt or shame or judgment upon themselves, okay? Which is why me and CA concluded this is worthy of an episode because if we are gonna give you any skills in this episode around cringe, there's so much psychological information that comes into the psyche when the emotional experience of cringe or awkwardness arrives in your consciousness. When you have that moment, it is an actual opportunity for you to dig even a tiny bit deeper on what the heck is going on in that moment. Because sometimes, like CA was describing, sometimes it's like, oh, eh, that's a little cringe, but sometimes it's visceral. It's almost as strong as my anger can become or my sadness. Like it can be a very intense emotion for me. And I sit there and I go, We've taught you in this in this podcast that emotions are informers. They, they bring information to you. They bring a rich, abundant source of psychological information with them. And the severity can also bring a rich source of information about the magnitude of the emotional experience, right? So we can think, oh, if I'm feeling really cringe, right? What do we usually do? And this is, this is fascinating to me. What we usually do is we shrug it. Right, we shrug it off because we're like, uh, whatever. I mean, we all kind of feel secondary inverse, and and we're like, what do you mean? Like, that's just life, right? We don't pay that much attention to it. But until CA brought this to me, because CA was bringing up this topic to me, and we sat with it and brainstormed with it, I was like, you know what? This is really valid because behind the skill, like behind the emotion, is an entire source of skill development that we could talk about. And that's what we're going to be focusing on the episode. So right off the bat, okay, if we are talking about the initial experience of cringe, one of the things I want to clarify is that we're not talking about when someone does something like derogatory or um, bigoted or, you know, racist or something that's like, oh my God, that's so cringy. Like, why would you ever say that in public? Right. But it's actually like a problematic Statement that would actually create some dissonance in you, right? And in that case, I could even make the case it might not even be cringe, it's just horror. You're watching in horrific, like, disgust that they just said that out loud, okay? I don't think that's what we're defining as cringe here. I want to say for this episode, we're talking about that classic experience when you're on social media and you see someone doing something or dancing or doing something and you're like, ooh, a little cringy, right? Okay, that moment, if you're watching someone dancing, if you're watching someone singing, okay? This is why this is this radical call inward because take my example of singing, okay? That emotional experience happening inside of me that I'm labeling as cringe isn't happening to other people that are listening to that woman sing. Not everyone is feeling the same way I am. Some might be like, oh, it's a little off, but it's a cool song. I like it actually. Cool. Good for her. Like sing it. Right. Very ambivalent. Right. There's someone very ambivalent in the room. There's me who's like, like I'm watching in horror. Right. And then there are other people that are like, I don't sing that good either. So go off girl. Like I'm proud of you. Like keep singing and sing until you get better. Great. I love it. You know, and they're like the, they're the opposite. They're like, do it more. Like just keep (laughs) going. Right. And so remember, if we have that big of a differential in the room, that means that everyone is relating to that person that is apparently causing cringe in a different way, which actually loops me back to CA. Let's go back into your scenario, your children and your partner and you know, everything you're sitting in the room and everyone's experiencing that March madness for the cat name in different ways. <laughs> yes. One of them developmentally is like, this is fun. Maybe one of them is like, I'm bored. I'm not really interested. Maybe, you know, your youngest is like, uh, I don't care, mommy. I'm going to go play. And then your partner's like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like that you're making this fun. Right. And then you, cause I know mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you're like, <laughs> Just call me cat namer number one, everyone. Listen to me. Like, you know, and you would yes. like embrace that energy fully. And yep. and that's why I wanted to loop it back to that scenario. Because when you were talking about the cat thing, it's very clear that everyone was experiencing it in different ways. And then when you talked about the conversation that you were like, what is one of the most profound times I find it? Like, where can my brain like... Remember, the fact that you're recalling a moment like that tells your brain that, like, you have a very deep relationship with what's occurring. So, like, when you're watching people interact and they're missing social cues, what I was thinking, and, of course, I was agreeing, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. Like, the uh, the (laughs) autism stuff and the spectrum stuff and, like, neurodivergency and stuff. But when I was thinking about it, I was, like, listening to you talk, and I was like, wow, like, really what cringe can teach us? is that there's, okay, listen to this cool visual. If you, this is just a theoretical, okay? This is not like a actual therapeutic model teaching or something, okay? But if you just picture yourself as someone who carries all the versions of yourself with you, Like every version of yourself, the one that didn't understand social cues, the one that does understand social cues, the one that did screw up, the one that didn't screw up, the one that has the skill, the one that doesn't have the skill, right? If we use that theoretical concept, all parts of me are existing within my psyche. That means that there are memories in my brain that I was engaging in those things unskillfully. Okay? Which means if time isn't ready, let's go really crazy. If time is illusion, the brain doesn't really know the difference. So it's kind of our job to say, hey, I know that version of me exists that I didn't have that skill, but you're, you're okay. Like it's okay to watch people learn how to engage socially. That's okay because I had to learn that I needed to give myself grace, right? I needed to give myself grace, and so what I could do here, instead of like channeling more cringe energy, I could actually give that like energy like a release and a grace, and be like, "She's probably learning. She's probably learning how to engage with people. And if she's not learning, that's okay. She's and that that's another. There's another layer that's that I wanted step. to touch on.
1: That's exactly that that's layer, the next layer.
0: Right. That that layer right after like she might be learning, right? Which was, which is very true. That like someone who's trying to sing might be learning how to sing. So of course, every fifth note might be a little off and that's okay, they're learning, right? So giving that person grace can be very healing to that version of yourself that didn't get the grace. So just be like, that's that's absolutely like, that's part of the process. I did, you know, how did you think you did? I think there were a few notes that were off key. All right, let's go back. Let's learn, right? Okay, so we have the learning person. So we're giving grace to the person who's learning. And then we have a whole nother layer of you. If they aren't learning, let's say they just are, they're like, no, I'm not teaching myself to sing. This is just how I sing, right? Like there is something to release in the cultural construct of what we'd all agree as like quote unquote normal. So let's go back to CA yep, autism like experience, right? Okay. CA watching someone not engage in a social norm. There's two different variants of thought here. Okay. And I know you're like already on the train. There's two different thoughts though, CA think about that. You can go, well, she's learning the social cues, right? And to me that is part of life that we kind of have to understand the social cues in order to kind of figure out if we're going to engage in them or not yet that whole idea of like the two factors of like she's either learning the social cues or it could be someone that you're watching unmasked that did learn the social cues and goes I don't care if I look weird yep I don't care if I look weird. I don't care if I sing off key. I don't care if you misunderstand me. I don't care. And I don't mean like, this is why I was trying to clarify. The derogatory thing, if someone's being literally cruel in their conversation and everyone's cringing because they're like, oh my God, that gr- that girl's being so mean to that other person. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone being like, um, I don't know, wearing, um, I don't know, like wearing of the wrong type of clothes for an event or something like you're at a beach and they're wearing like a coat a trench coat or something and it's like why is that oh that's so cringe like that person is just like not fitting into the beach attire like where's their sarong and where's their like you know where's their cute little overlay thing and whatever and they're like they don't want to wear the social norm at the beach they don't want to wear a bathing suit They don't want to wear their little beachy towel. They just want to wear an overcoat. I don't know. It's weird, but like, it's not weird, right? Because my brain goes, is it weird or is it a social construct?
1: Well, it's really informative about like where our internalized understanding of like those norms and standards have like settled inside of us and just how much value we place on them. That's, that's what the like sensation of cringe and the level to which you feel it helps you gain information around because yeah. So, so it's like for the, the social norm thing and like conversational social norms that was such a source of pain for me growing up that I have placed a very high value on how important it is to behave to a certain standard because that's what I decided to do growing up to help myself feel safer, more accepted, more whatever. And so that stuff got super internalized and then now, I mean, this is a really interesting topic because like I actually have done a lot of unmasking around this exact topic, around social norms, like looking a certain way, talking a certain way, using a certain tone of voices, like eye contact, levels of eye contact, all of that stuff. I've been doing a lot of unmasking around that over the last few years, but that internalized stuff is so deep in there that like there's still certain things that I'm like, oh man, like how did that person miss that? You know, but I realize like, what's really happening there is me projecting my level of value that I've placed on adhering to social norms that are entirely arbitrary and made up by a society in the first place. And I've placed a certain value on it and I'm projecting that value onto somebody else. And if they don't have that same value, if they're like, yes, I understand that you're not supposed to like make dolphin imitations in a restaurant, but like I wanted to, and I, I saw a dolphin walking, you know, out there and I was looking over and I saw a dolphin and it like, I wanted to talk to it. And so I hollered out in dolphin out the window. Like I'm, you know what I mean? And I would be like, if I witnessed that, I'd be like, Oh my God, that's so cringe. Like you can't just like make a dolphin noise in a restaurant. But that person is like, I know you're not supposed to, but like, it's fun. I wanted to do it. Who am I hurting? It doesn't actually matter. Right. Like this is all arbitrary nobody's actually gonna care. You know, like I'm not hurting anybody, right? Like nothing bad is literally happening by right, making dolphin here's, noise. Right, here's,
0: because here's the example I'm gonna give because people are gonna be like, but it's rude, right? And I go, listen, okay. This is why everything's made up in social constructs because CA saw a dolphin and almost like cheered with the dolphin, right? And she, in this example, she cheered with the dolphin. She was like, I'll make the sound with them. Like, right, cool. But if we were at a restaurant and this has happened to me. If I'm at a sports restaurant and everyone's sitting down eating their food and there's a TV where there's an interjection of an event like an entertainment event and someone scores a football like you know a touchdown, a football touchdown. <laughs> someone scores a touchdown. Um <laughs> Someone scores a touchdown, that that restaurant might erupt in like Celebratory noise, okay. Because the cultural construct has been normed around football, I'm supposed to not think that's rude. Because someone, oh, I look over and I go, oh, they're watching football. Oh, they they get to cheer once in a while, right? And I go, C A watched a dolphin. She gets to cheer too, right? And it's that whole idea where people are like, well, there's these rules and constructs for a reason. And I think they go, everything's made up. Everything's made up. So when C A goes. I'm dropping the embarrassment that might come along with someone being like, "Why did she make that bird noise at the seagull? Like, what is she doing?" And like, obviously, there's a there is a sense we're not doing all or nothing. We're not sitting there and saying, CA gets to say that for an hour." She gets to squawk. She gets to squawk like a seagull for 30 minutes straight while everyone's enjoying her meal. No, we're not (laughs) saying that. We're not saying all or nothing. We're saying Mm -hmm. that some of these things. We've normed for other things and not for like situations that are like out of the box, right? And so, CA's example of the dolphin is really good. It is, it's a really good example because it's completely arbitrary.
1: And I wanna, I wanna actually now start getting into like a little bit of a meatier topic because what I was saying to you off air is that for some reason, I, and I could be off about this, but I feel as though. I have noticed an increased amount of emphasis on cringiness and like avoiding being cringy. I feel like the like emphasis on that has increased over the past several years. I obviously would like, my initial brain goes to, I think this has to do with like social media stuff and like our lives being so on display and people being able to hold up a camera at any time and record anything and post it for the world to see. So like, I feel like the emphasis around like being careful to not be cringy has increased significantly. And one of the things that I have seen a lot of commentary about that people like, especially in like a generation just below us, but even some people in our millennial generation, but definitely a lot in the Gen Z generation, I've noticed so much conversation around emotions being cringy. So Like, if somebody is displaying themselves in a way that is super vulnerable and they're, like, really, like, putting their heart on their sleeve. So if they're witnessing somebody, like, profess, like, romantic and tender feelings towards somebody, I've literally seen people be like, yep, that's cringy. Why are they posting that? Or even just like being sad, right? Like crying and like expressing like grief or sadness and people going, that's cringe. Why are you showing me this? And I'm like, why are emotions now being categorically described as cringey to almost an entire generation?
0: Here's what's, here's ironic. It's an, cringe in and of itself carries what I would consider the same energy as it is emotion cringe is an emotion like it's not like an emotion like sadness where we can be maybe maybe immediately like have this construct of what that means because cringe is very like arbitrary and subjective but the thing is is like the actual experience is a feeling an emotional feeling feeling around an event and so when you said it's linking to particular emotions it's it actually tracks to what we were saying in the beginning of the episode in the beginning of the episode, we started untangling. If you understand what cringiness is, you're gonna realize it's a it's an attempt to reject something that you need to hang on to longer. You need to sit with that experience longer. and your body is having an initial reaction of going, oh my God, oh my God, that's way too strong of a confrontation for my psyche. So for example, an emotional linking of grief or sadness or love or undying love, like like literally like love that doesn't even seem recognizable. You're like, how does someone love someone like that, right? Okay, when you hear people go, I can't, I can't watch someone cry like that. That that's uncomfortable. When I came out with my depression episode, there were multiple times where people are going, I'm uncomfortable watching your pain. And I go, I understand that. I'm not trying to make anyone in more pain, but there, but in that same breath, I think I even pinned it at one point. And one of my socials that someone said, I'm uncomfortable and this is how I knew they've been on my page for a while, because or they've been doing a lot of self work, or maybe it's both. But they said, I'm uncomfortable. And I needed to see this. Oh, my, I just got chills. I just got chills. Because that's what's beyond cringe, folks, is there is I'm uncomfortable, which is I'm just gonna be uncomfortable and say it's cringe, right? Or I'm uncomfortable. Initially, I got hit with cringe, but notice what CA just was able to link in her brain when she used that example. She said, I'm bringing up something that I can notably tell you is going to provoke the experience of cringe in my brain. And the second I sat with it longer, it gave me incredible information about what I needed to
1: untangle exactly cuz what you're what what you're saying when you say oh my gosh i'm uncomfortable this makes me cringe is i am witnessing you do something that i don't allow myself to do i'm witnessing you express in a way that i don't allow myself to express i'm witnessing you just emote publicly out loud for people to see emotions that I don't even let myself explore privately, let alone in front of other people. And so it, it it makes you just, you're confronted so viscerally with something inside of yourself that you're absolutely denying yourself access to.
0: Yes. That's where this is so powerful, CA. And I even think I said that like when we were brainstorming, I was like, man, there are layers to this that people have never explored and you know what i don't hear people talking about this so let us be one of the voices in the mix i i want us to be because when we talk about cringe this is actually what we were saying in the brainstorm session i was like ca if you think about our developmental age like we can get stuck in these things because we started experiencing what okay think about this for a second we don't experience cringe until a specific developmental age. And why do you think that is? Just, I'm actually going to ask you what, like, this is a real question. Why do you think this is? Because I have a, my two cents on this, but why do you think your five-year-old doesn't experience certain things as cringe, but your 15-year-old, almost 15-year-old does?
1: Right. I do agree with you that it happens somewhere along the line developmentally in like social emotional development of the human person, you begin to realize that you're part of a group and you start to, I think I, there is somebody who's smarter than me would know like the actual age bracket for like when this typically happens. Oh my God, no, I'm so bad. Believe me, I'm in this and I'm like, don't don't ask me about Pj. I I had to memorize it. (laughs) I remember studying it at one point, but anyway, so it's like Don't whenever about that. Piaget or Erickson. Like, you know what? For
0: the people, the clinical people, it's Piaget and Erickson. But you know what? Those yes. I did not I had to memorize them and they they will be a gooey.
1: Not programma. retained. Not retained. They're they're yeah. So it's like late, late elementary into into um, middle school age era where you start to um emphasize your your like peer group as the like highest level. Um, yeah, I am. You know what? I'm going to the pull most it up highly. Do, it's like, yeah, it's like I do the like most a- highly emphasized um, importance in your life, right, is, is seeing yourself as like fitting in with your peers. And so whatever the peer group deems worthy versus unworthy, you I have to adhere to that because that okay. is the so stage here, of development that you're in.
0: Let's, let's go into it. Uh, in indis- these are such complex words. They should have, he should have just used better like language for this. I know this sounds bad, but like, so five to 13 is industry versus inferiority. So almost like The big group versus like me, the little guy, like where do I fit into all of this? The big collective versus the little guy. But then 13 to 21 is identity versus role confusion. So if it's that identity formation, and then the and then we have the developmental stages on top of that, which is the prefrontal cortex forming, right? So when we have the prefrontal cortex forming, now what CA was saying, I'm realizing. I'm just not part of this family. I'm part of this world. I'm part of this collective, right? And so we're going to impact each other and people are going to
1: what? Perceive me? Perceive me, yes. (laughs) Perception is important to define because I don't know, it might be still sitting in my drafts. I almost made a video about this on my page. I don't think I ever pushed it out yet. But anyway, um, perception isn't just like literal like observation of like, with your two eyes just genuinely witnessing the fact that a tree exists. Perception takes it a step further and it now makes a, a judgment call about the meaning of that tree. That tree is old. That tree is beautiful. That tree is something, right? Now, now I'm perceiving the tree rather than just seeing it. And so we start to develop that sense of i am being perceived it's not just people are literally looking at me because my five-year-old knows when we're looking at her and she's putting on a little silly little performance <laughs> yeah, like, hey. in the in the yeah. and there's zero shame because she has zero sense of she's just not at that developmental stage yet right like she can just do literally anything be like waving wands around and singing and whatever and it's great and she's having a great time give it just a couple more years and now that child knows that they are being perceived perceived that people are watching them and making decisions in their mind about how good their singing is, how beautiful their costume looks, how long they've been up there and are people getting bored? Like they actually do now start to realize, oh, people are not just seeing me, they're making decisions and and judgments about what they're seeing. So that is where I think this sense of cringe starts to develop.
0: Right. So when I was asking about developmentally, I think that's when we're trying to understand what are we trying to understand? We're trying to understand how we fit in and how we are purposefully trying to not stand out. Because remember, in that stage of identity, it's really scary to be singled out because when people I. I, the, when you get perceived, you know that there's a possibility that you could be attacked or people could, like, say, this is why people like develop that strategy of, like, just go into the back of the crowd. Like, don't, like, don't get singled out. Like, don't, you know, because it's too scary to, right? It's really interesting, though, when we think about how this plays out as adults. Okay. Cause we've been doing a lot of like child development, teenage development kind of thing. But when we think about adulthood, and this is what I was speaking to before, we can fully get stuck here. Like people think, Oh, I I'm, I'm beyond my teen years. And I go, but are you developmentally? Like, are you beyond the teen development? Because if you're stuck living your life, For your peers, and you're so scared that anything you do, you're not even willing to go on social media because you're like, any post I do, someone could perceive me. And I go, You're right, but you're stuck in a developmental stage that is actually pretty young. Like a 13, I know it said 13 to 21, but that was like, that was, that was Erickson's. So, like, if you think about like, the early teen development, right? Like 13 to 16. Okay, let's just go through those three years. How many people do you think are stuck there? And they're stuck in their teenage perception of like, oh my God, if you do something that is like kind of not in the social norm, then you're like genuinely problematic. And I go, I love that 13 year olds are the ones that like, this is how you know they're in that dissonance stage because they're the one that goes non-conformer, no conforming, non-conformity, never conform. And they're all, it's that rage of like, don't do what the collective tells you to do. But then in the same breath, they go, this is cringe. And I go, in that moment, when you said that's cringe, you're telling me that you think there's a social norm and that you are asking them to fit into it for your comfort. That's what you're asking them.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So with the, with the getting stuck there, it's interesting because it, this is, I mean, like development can be completely asynchronous. And even within the Within the context of one person inside of themselves, because I feel like as I have untangled a lot of my own internalized shame around a whole vast variety of topics, and I've been doing my own unmasking journey, things that once would have made me cringe even three years ago don't. I can be completely fine witnessing a wide variety of things now that once probably did make me cringe, but now I just I'm like, wow, like look at that person just in their element and in their authenticity and just doing what they're doing. And I can even make the honest statement of like, that's not for me. Like I probably wouldn't dress that way or I probably wouldn't post myself singing a song off key, but it doesn't bother me that other people do. Like I don't have this feeling of like. Almost like, how dare they? Like, how could you? What, what was that comedian we were talking about? Like, aren't you embarrassed? Yeah, <laughs> like, was like Sebastian, that, whatever his name is. He's like, aren't yeah. you embarrassed?
0: I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, so, so
1: I used to, like, that probably is, like, internally how I would react of, like, why isn't this person embarrassed to be doing that? But, like, almost to the point of now where I don't even, I like, I don't have that thought process happening at all around, like, so many things. But the things that still have hung on, this is what we talk about with those like levels of like intensity, that's the stuff where you go, okay, so there's still some things in here that I have internalized shame around. And so when I witness another person it, it, just living their life and, and engaging with that in a way that I don't allow myself to engage in it. I'm still feeling that sensation of cringe. And so that's just that information part where you go, okay, why am I feeling this way about that? And where can I start to make some releases inside of myself and start to make some more spaciousness around this topic within my own self? And that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to start expressing in the exact same way that that person does. But internally, there's obviously stuff that is still very, there's a lot of tension in there that needs to be moved through. Right.
0: I mean, so this is interesting because I was trying to figure out like, just for our listeners, like how much this is like, because this is part of the healing process. Like hands down, this is absolutely part of the healing process. Untangling, unlearning, all of the un- or uh, all of the healing processes that are involved. And then I was thinking about how much this links to our trauma recovery. And that's what I think you just spoke to, C.A., is that, when we're beyond just the frivolous, like, oh, this is a whiteboard in the living room. Like when we're beyond that and we're like, yeah, that's fine. Go off, mom. Like have fun, right? Do your thing. Live your life. Cool, right? When you're there, this is what I want. This is what I want the listeners here. Pay attention to the severity. Pay attention to how intense you're feeling, that cringe or awkwardness or whatever you want to call it. And then when it's pretty, profoundly strong, like, as in you're like, you'd almost even say it out loud. Like, Oh my God, this is bad. You know, that to me is the sign of their, like what CA said, the whole wounded thing. So if I link that to trauma recovery, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, where do I actually like, so I was trying to think of like, what was a recent experience that I felt a little cringy. Okay. And I realized it was, there was this person I was talking to as performer and they had this part of their act that was like a little bit sexual. And they were like, oh my God, this part, like, look at this part. And I saw it, but I didn't see like the video. It was just like a little thing. And I remember feeling like, oh, that's, I don't know. Like, and I remember being like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, not because I didn't approve of the sexual experience, but I felt like it, it was that uncomfy feeling. Like I felt like a little bit like that would be a little cringy if I watched it. That's what I was thinking. And I go, wait, hold on. So this is what I mean by trauma recovery, because all of my religious trauma and my sexual trauma, like there's so much to that trauma that whenever there's a hint of like uncomfort, my brain is like, or discomfort, my brain is like, it's okay. It's okay. Right. It's okay. This is not a threat. There's nothing that's wrong. You're okay. No one's getting hurt. You're not getting hurt. They're not getting hurt. This person is not hurting other people. This is not an action that needs to have this like dissonance. And I realize I go, I, this is what I would prompt for like some of the listeners. I go, Be mindful if any of those cringe moments can be linked to any sexuality moments, if it's linked to sexuality, if it's linked to neurodiversity, if it's linked to shame around expression, right? You were never allowed to cry. So every time you watch someone cry, you cringe. Okay, that's a fucking deep wound. So if you're telling me every time I see someone get vulnerable on social media, I'm like, what the fuck is that person doing? I am cringing so hard for them. And my brain, want, I get a little sad for that response because I think that person is carrying a lot of wounds around emotional expression. And you know what? I can't really fix that. I can't do anything about that, right? But like this episode is what's we're trying to get the word out is like, folks, that is a call to action from the psyche. The psyche goes, hey, you're interpreting this as a bad thing. I'm not trying to... This is actually... I've said this a million times. The emotions that we interpret as a bad thing, don't, they literally aren't bad. They they are not right. bad. Okay? There's no so like, bad
1: emotion. Yeah.
0: There isn't a bad emotion. So when someone goes, ugh, this cringe feeling feels bad. I go, okay right there. That's the invitation. The invitation is this makes me feel weird. Okay. Your invitation is not weird. Shove it under the shelf or shove it under the blanket or whatever. It is not throw it away underneath something and never discover it again. It is your brain desperately knocking on the door of your psyche and saying, Can you let us in and explore beyond this feeling? Because you keep feeling this way and none of us, we're not doing anything with this information. We just keep feeling this and it's never going away. And that's what I wanted to like loop back to. So CA, what you said, you actually outlined it really well. You shared with us that there was almost this like this very fast, slope down of like, I wasn't feeling cringy as and like, not at all, right? You were saying you did feel it at times, but you noticed that the more you healed the voice inside of you that said, you're allowed to feel this way. You're allowed to dance that way. You're allowed to be silly. You're allowed to be goofy. You're allowed to wear that. It's okay. Like you're okay to do those things. The more you did that, everybody else's variation of how they did that was getting untangled so when you wore that really brightly colored shirt to that restaurant and you would never do that and if you saw it in your past a past version of you is there with you and going past version of CA would have been like saying something about that woman's pink shirt and they would have been like that's way too loud read the room. Everyone in this restaurant is wearing neutral tones. She's wearing fluorescent pink. What the hell's her problem? Like that is a voice that some people will say. Okay. So if CA says that, what she's talking about is that voice will slowly drop because she gets to wear the pink shirt at the restaurant. Right. Exactly. she gets to be untangled. She gets to be untangled and explored in the world. So that means she doesn't see other people's expression as a wound that's hurting her. It's not hurting her anymore.
1: Right, exactly. Or like, a, it's bringing up that wound, right? Like making you acutely aware that that wound is still there. That's a, the No, no, expression. I'm talking about, hold on, let
0: me clarify. Let me clarify. Right at the end there, what you said, where you stopped drop, where you stop, only the really deep wounds were there, but all the menial stuff, like you just said that the menial stuff was just like, yeah, go off, wear that pink shirt. I'm excited for you. Do it.
1: That's yep, the difference. 100%. Sorry, I just had to clarify. It is. <laughs> it is. It's like creating that um spaciousness around those things in your own life allows the freedom of other people, like people are still existing, whether or not you give them permission to, but that feeling of giving yourself permission to also express yourself, however you need and want to express yourself. So it doesn't even necessarily mean like in the same exact way you're watching somebody else. It's literally just like, oh my gosh, that person is unafraid to emotionally express. That person is unafraid to in their fashion, express themselves. They're unafraid to verbally express their thoughts. Like all of these types of like expression that you are perceiving as, oh my gosh, like how could they ever do that? It's because you're not giving yourself permission to do those things. And as soon as you open that up, it creates that level of comfort around other people doing those things that wasn't there before.
0: I, I actually like to, I'm going to use one more analogy and then we can start wrapping this up. So like, I see this happening with my kids and food because food is so arbitrary and this is, we do this in our culture. We do this in American culture. Oh, oh my God. What did that person bring for lunch? It looks like barf and it's like some kind of curry or something that's beautiful and incredibly tasting. And the person creates a cultural construct of what food is normal and goes, Oh, that's so disgusting. I would never bring that into work. Like that's embarrassing for you, right? But what they're saying is I'm uncomfortable because I feel like I look at my food and I go, is someone going to judge me for bringing this in today? Um. Okay, then I won't bring it in, right? All right, well, think about this with my, so I see this in my kids is like my daughter will, which by the way, like, I, I don't know how she's mastered some of the things that I've still not mastered. I'm sure she's gonna go through her own stuff. But like this woman, this young child woman, that's eventually going to be this grown adult. She's sitting there and she's like, I swear on my life. She's sitting there and she's like eating a food. I don't know. I'm just going to make up something like she's eating, uh, graham crackers with, I don't know. I mean, Nutella's kind of normal. What's a weird thing to put on graham crackers? Like hummus. I don't know. Jet hummus and graham crackers. Yeah. Let's and see. Even even when I say weird, it's not really weird. It's just out of the box. Okay. So hummus and graham crackers. And so she's eating those together, and my middle child comes over and is like, "Ew, that's disgusting. I would never eat that." And I swear on my life, I don't know if she just embraced some of my more sovereign behavior that I've been able to, I don't know, or maybe this is just inherent in her. She goes, you don't have to like it. I like what I like. You're not eating it. And I'm like, you're six. I'm like, you're six years old. She's been able to grasp that she gets to just eat whatever the hell she wants and everyone gets to judge her for it, but she's unbothered. She's like, good, I guess, whatever. You think it's weird. I don't think it's weird. And then she says it with such confidence that I'm like, who are you? Like, where did you come from? Because the six-year-old child that I was was the biggest people pleaser. If someone told me that, I'd be like, oh, I can't eat it then. Oh, I'm going to be judged. Everyone's going to hate me. And here comes my daughter, six years old, that's like, you don't like it then? Good, you don't have to eat
1: it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And she's like, I'm eating it. And I'm like, oh, my God, that ability to be that much in your power. Yeah, we can teach our kids that. But also we got to teach ourselves that.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's important to kind of like identify those parts. And I think I would venture to say probably a lot of people have, we talk about this a lot, Jamie, the concept of like, you probably have the skill, you're just not claiming it or applying it as broadly as you could be. And so when it comes to this topic in particular, I look back on my life, there were things that since from even early childhood, people were perceiving and judging as like wrong or weird about me that even as an early, ch- like young child, I did not care. I did oh, not have shame so about, bad. and you I did. would just be like, We had no Whatever. shame at <laughs> all. Right? There was a lot of things, but then there were other things that for some reason, I latched onto those and internalized shame about them. It just, so it's like, I actually did have this skill all along. I just only applied it to areas that I was super deeply rooted in my authenticity about. That like I didn't care if somebody was going to judge me for the fact that here's a perfect example. When I was in elementary school and it was, it was playground time. Like I literally never wanted to play the games. Like I didn't want to play kickball. I didn't want to like get in on the action. I was 120% happy to genuinely sit in the field and like make flower crowns out of clover blossoms. And I would just do that with zero shame, didn't care. And people literally would make fun of me for that. They would be like, you're so weird. What are you doing over there? Oh, are you talking to the fairies? And I'd be like, yeah, like I didn't care. I was like, I don't want to do what you're doing. That looks horrible. I don't want to kick a ball or be hit with a ball. So I'm going to be over here happy. And it didn't bother me that people judged me about that. But then somebody would make fun of my hair, or my glasses, or something else, and I would absolutely internalize shame about those things. So what I would say to our listeners is, my guess is, if you are continuing to build skills around this topic of cringe and internalize shame and releasing those tensions, I would encourage you to maybe like think about some of those areas of your life where people are making judgments about choices that you're making And you already have that level of comfort around those choices to where other people's opinions about it don't actually sway you or affect you emotionally in any way. And you're just like, it's okay that people judge me for the job I have. It's okay for them to judge the way I dress. I don't actually care. Like I love the way that I look and it doesn't bother me if somebody else thinks it's cringe. So like tap into that energy and those feelings and just feel confident that you actually already have these skills in place. And so really the only like bridge, the only gap that needs to be bridged is that everything we've talked about up to this point, right? So when you do get that feeling of cringe to take those like moments of reflection to go, Ooh, okay. What information am I getting from this? What shame do I have around this topic? What am I not allowing myself to express or like root into my own authenticity around this topic that I'm watching this person do it, but I don't allow myself that. And then once you kind of like untangle some of that and release some of those tensions, feel confident in the fact that guess what? That skill set to just embrace it and express it, you actually probably already have it and you're applying it in other parts of your life. And now you get to start applying it here in this topic as well.
0: I- love that you were able to identify that when you were younger, the things that you were able to integrate faster as your authentic self weren't like, didn't get carried into this attachment issue. Like, think about that. You didn't carry certain things about Like you didn't have certain things that were cringe and it was because you were able to reach that point of authenticity before the world got a hold of you. Like, think about that for a second. That's so powerful. And this is, this is what like, you know, reiterating CA's point, the skill probably is already there. It's about realizing there's a disconnect between your perception of the experience, which is someone singing bad or someone missing a social cue or something, you know, something getting screwed up, your responsibility is to acknowledge that that's just a leftover lingering wound. And if you can acknowledge that it's your authenticity, that it's your authenticity that needs to be explored deeper right? Where am I not showing up for myself? Where am I not allowing myself to freely create, to freely express? If I'm trying to sing, is it okay if I sing off key? If I'm trying to create art, is it okay if the art isn't phenomenal? In every single way, is it okay if there's some paint over here or over there? Like, think about that for a second, right? And so when you tap into the authenticity question, that to me is the solution to cringe. If you want to get some of that cringe out of your life, you already have the skill most likely. We just have to tap into what has to get untangled what specific event like i just said that when i was able to link that this was a performer performing in front of people and it was something that wasn't like it wasn't sexual like offensive but it was like a sexual kind of like experiential thing it's kind of hard for me to explain but i and it wasn't exposing himself or anything but it was like slightly sexual and i remember being like and they were in an event it was like a club so it was kind of like everyone was already going to be like okay this is kind of the energy of the room So when I sat there and it goes, what, where is the hang up? I know, and this is something, I mean, I feel like I've shared some of this with the podcast, but I know that a lot of that is my shame. And a lot of that is sexual shame. And a lot of that is based on some of the indoctrination I had. And when I can actually be honest that it has nothing to do with that person and it has everything to do with my shame, that's when I can start to heal that's when I can start to untangle.
1: I love it. This was cool. I'm really glad we did this topic. This was This good. was, yeah. this was, this was neat. And I learned some stuff along the way. So I always love a topic like that where I'm like, Ooh, that was cool. I like learned along with you guys, like in real time as we talked it out. You're like, "I I got that link today." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: all right. Uh whatever we're doing, we're obviously all evolving, but yes, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or individual Instagrams at Recollect Itself and CAs is at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work